Again, the love of my life, my Hello. lady, my sh- my my. I was gonna say my ship out at sea, but that's that's wrong. Uh, my my yeah. uh, uh uh lighthouse. Light there. up your life. Yeah, there we go. My my lighthouse on a foggy night. Uh, how are you doing, Jessica? I am good. I feel caffeinated and ready. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. That's good, cause uh. Oh, we're we're going on a trip today, buddy. We're going on a fun and funky little little trip today. See, I'm be- I'm scared. I'm scared because I have no idea. At least the last time I knew we were going historical, so I knew what to yeah. prepare for. Well, um, so I decided today that we were going to shake things up a little bit, and and we are doing another installment in the history of romance. So, however, we are going to be. I'm splitting these episodes into two because not because we're going to be talking about um, the book is super, super, super crazy in depth like we did with Flame in the Flower. Because looking back, I feel like that's a little bit boring, but very fun for me and you, but maybe not for listeners. So today what we're going to do is we're doing a, a, a preamble, so to say, a, a prologue. Uh, we're going to lay the, the groundwork for the book, which is to say we are doing a fully historical look at the book that we're going to talk about today in this episode. We're going to be talking about the author. We're going to be talking about the circumstances around the creation of the book. We're going to be talking about the history of publishing. How does that feel to you? Does it feel fun, funky, fresh, organic, slick, slimy? <laughs> How are we doing? I think I think slimy. Slimy feels right. You oh, know, if we're, if we're going into the knit grit, it's going to be slimy. It will. Well, it is actually, you know, I'm thinking about it, is there are certain, you could metaphorically say that certain parts of it are incredibly, horribly slimy. Oh, I can't tell if you're being literal in the sense of what well, I'm thinking of. I mean, well, we are talking about a romance podcast. It is a romance podcast. This is going to be a pretty chaste romance podcast. Um, because... Oh, the chaste episodes. Well... <laughs> This one, okay, you get the chase ones, but you also get the tough ones, because these ones have some, like, real fucked up shit in them, though, for real, like, uh, what they, what they lack in sex, they make up for in just sheer discomfort. (laughs) Is there going to be a lot of sexy disease going on? Jessica, the book we're talking about today is The Origin of Sexy Disease. Oh yeah. my goodness! Yeah, wrap your noggin around that. I realize they can't see us, so they can't see the expression. <laughs> I yeah, <laughs> it is an audio medium. That's true. Uh, so can you guess at all what we're talking about today? Oh, if we're doing the, we're not. Is it is it that really cool one that you have the the book that is so old as falls apart? Uh, is very racist. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not that one. Not that one. No. Uh, that is The Sheik. We will be doing The Sheik at some point. Maybe not you and I. I, I don't know yet. Uh, I may save that horrible trial <laughs> for somebody else. Um, but no, we are not doing The Sheik. We are doing Pamela. Semicolon. Oh, or no. Virtue Rewarded by Samuel Richardson. What do you oh, know boy. about Pamela? I've talked to you about it before. Do you remember anything? Do you have any like cultural osmosis about what this book is or anything? Have you ever even heard of it besides out of my mouth? 
out of you, besides out of the mouth of Abigail Kelly, no. The beautiful mouth! <laughs> Not the, I haven't heard it from the, only, only from the word of God. Okay, well. Um, and honestly, I think my brain blocked out a lot of it because I know. And what I say, I know thinking, <laughs> I know to, to react to Pamela, to my, my, my insides want to cringe and clutch. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember exactly why. So uh, I'm with you. I this book, despite being historically very significant, um, really isn't remembered by the general public. Um, I think people who who love the history of publishing, people who love English literature, uh, people who think about the history of romance as often as I do. We know about it in those contexts, but it's it's not a it's not a pride and prejudice. Although I would say and I can't believe I'm saying this. These words are coming gonna come out oh, of no. my beautiful, beautiful mouth right now. What is she gonna do? I'm gonna say I think Pamela is better than Pride and Prejudice. I know, I, I, know, that's the, I know. That just sounds blasphemous. I know. Coming from me, who literally, I think I learned to, to talk by watching the 1995 Pride and Prejudice A&E special. Um, that's like every romance person, you know, you, you can't, how dare you? I, well, here's the thing. I think that Pride and Prejudice is significantly easier to read. Um, the the conventions of of like writing dialogue and you know how we read things now like just even how the page is broken up how how paragraphs are broken up like there's not even quotation marks to mark dialogue in this book right I think in that sense Pride and Prejudice is far and away more accessible to readers and therefore more enjoyable however. Pamela, if you can get it, which you can, because it is uh, now it's in the public domain. It's like 200 years old or whatever the hell. Um, it, it is it is available on many, many platforms for free as an audiobook. If you are willing to invest the time, and I'm going to tell you, it's about 23, 22 hours or something like that. Oh. Yeah, it's very that, long. It's like a, a, it's like a 400, a, 500 page book. It's very long. That's a chunky boy. It's it's taken me a grip to read it. Um. I would say if you can do that, if you're willing to do that and you can find one, the one I found was through Amazon. They had a, um, because I purchased the book, which you can get for free also on Amazon um, and download it. You get, you can get like a free audiobook of it and it, it's a full cast and it's a wonderful, wonderful version. Huh. Um, I would say if you're willing to do that, it's a better book. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, uh, Nana, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Mom, I'm so, so sorry. But, like, I'm going to say it's a better book. And it's less, it's far less lighthearted. It's far less romantic in the way that, like, realistically, Pride and Prejudice is a very simple story about two people having a misunderstanding and then falling in love, right? Um, that's a simple romantic story. Pamela is not simple. It is less soft but holy god do you do you care about the main character you i i like i was texting you uh and i was i was telling you about how excited i am to talk about right. this um and honest to god i put this book off because i i looked at it and i was like oh shit dog <laughs> this is gonna be it's gonna be a rough one and i have to do it because it is quite literally the first romance novel that we have um 
I mean, of course, that's debated. Um, we'll get into that. But like English literature, it is considered the first romance novel. Um, and I, I was like, oh, this can be really hard. And then I, I was like, I try reading it and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I cannot like parse out anything for reasons that we'll get into. Um, but then I, I, I discovered that there's an audiobook version. And I, I was like, oh, well, here we go. I guess I'll just do this while I knit. So I've been knitting furiously. And... Um, holy smokes i was absolutely blown away i was like i was baking uh the other day i was making some bread and i was listening to it and as i was doing that i just kept like laughing out loud and like being like oh hell pamela oh my god <laughs> and like and this is to a book that was written in 1740 like this that's that's a wonderful yeah, reaction to have you don't really get laugh out loud reactions to aged books no no and you by god you really do in this one and i i I was so blown away um yeah so are they like actual like humorous laughs or like holy shit you dumb bitch (laughs) haha no i mean okay so uh i want to start this off by saying that samuel richardson who we will get into who he was and what he did but samuel richardson was a master of the psychological novel and by that i mean a novel that is not just trying to tell a morality tale which was kind of there were very few novels at the time um being sold or that were widely accepted um that were not simply just like a collection of fables or a retelling of like a thousand and one nights or like which are themselves of just a bunch of fables right there there's no moralistic tale here and and what's interesting is it is framed that way um, again, the the subtitle is called Virtue Rewarded, which sounds very moralistic, and in some ways it is. But I would argue that this book is wholly about this young woman. She, Young woman, I mean she is 15, um, which is rough for a modern reader to kind of swallow. But, like, again, 1740. Um, that is a cool it, man. It, and it is a problem in the book, I will say. But this book is about her. It's a, It's about her day-to-day psychology it does not skip a minute we see every single step of the day she's it's told it's an epistolary novel so it's told in letters <laughs> and in which also like does not help with like being able to read it easily by the way like ooh, um but you know it is it's it's we don't get like time skips we're not like the, the author wasn't going like oh i need to make this jumpier so we're going to jump to the next really important scene like we do today um i think which is a very much an influence of cinema right where we just have to keep interest um, yeah there's no three months later no we get those three months uh for better or worse and so you become very attached to this young woman and her her wit and her gumption and her just blistering awareness of her situation in life and you just like sometimes you just want to like shake her because you're just like oh bitch like oh but like (laughs) most of the time you're just cheering her on because she's just despite the worst of circumstances despite everything being against her this young woman knows who the hell she is she knows what the hell she deserves what she wants and she sticks to her guns and i love the hell out of pamela i'm so (laughs) passionate about pamela now wow that that's that's some real enthusiasm (sighs) i I get sweaty just thinking about pamela (laughs) part of me is like instinctively of course you like it okay that's a recommendation level Mm -hmm. but the fact 
the fact that you think it's better. I'm still like, oh, I, I still got this control. knee-jerk reaction to be like, hold up. that This book can't be that good. It you has know, to be filled with so much not great because it's so dated. Well, the thing is, it's grittier. It's grittier. Like, in a lot of ways, like, when Pride and Prejudice is compared to Pamela, Pamela is is... Although it has this, like, I think a very disingenuous undercurrent of being like, oh, this is just a morality tale. Don't pay too much attention. But really underneath it, it's like, we're going to talk about class. Um, <laughs> I, whereas, like, Pride and Prejudice is a very saccharine sort of, like, oh, she's, like, sort of t- kind of poor, but she's still, like, the gentry. So it's not really that subversive that, you know, Darcy marries her. Like, it's a little bit, but mostly it's fine. Uh, and which is, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. I think from Jane Austen's place in the world, that was a power fantasy. And I'm, and I'm never going to shit on that, right? But, like, right. Pamela is, like, really subversive. Like, it was a problem at the time. Um, which I think is a good place to start with, like talking about Samuel Richardson and how this book came about and, and the history of publishing and how this all kind of like, <laughs> I'm just dancing here. I, like, I, you know, like it just, it kind of just melts, it vibes together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So Jessica, you have taken a lot of classes on like, um, like international literature and, and, you know, you're, you, you love that sort of stuff. You like the, the like actual like nice literature like (laughs) formative literature where i whereas i kind of i appreciate it but i i'm kind of i'm always a little bit like i don't really want to read that like i I, I always enjoy it in the end but i i put it off for a long time see that that's how i feel about a lot of the traditional english canon so like you know i didn't take any you know there's a lot of classic western based authors even female authors i've just I've never read. I don't think I've ever finished any Bronte novel or I haven't either. Hemingway, or, yeah, like just like the Western centric authors. Um, because at first it was just because I was like, oh, I want to read more about authors that come from my culture. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to take like a Latin American in lit class, and then it turned into I've taken lit classes mainly. I practice. My minor is in was in uh, world literature, but mm-hmm. I basically would laugh and be like, I basically have a minor in Latin American and Jewish lit because those were the classes I took the most of. Yeah. Well, I think that, that you know, for our purposes today works well because um, you are both familiar with, with kind of the wider lexicon, but also like unfamiliar with what we are going to be talking about specifically today, which, which is good. Um, so... What do you know about, like, the history of publishing and printing? Well, it all started with the Gutenberg. <laughs> okay. And it was all religious, a lot of religious texts at first. Uh-huh. And then it became, because everything had to be handwritten, so it was very limited. And then not until they were able to start printing presses. And then it was just small stuff, like magazines, zines, newspaper type things, which is why a lot of authors used to start off by having their stuff published in in magazines or, or newspaper articles that's how everyone got a lot of people got their start back in the day and then women authors were oh they were unheard of unless they were writing romance all right and then jumped to today 
that is, you know what, that's really not, that. It, that's a more comprehensive history than I thought. Uh, I th- well, I think that most people can give besides like, it started with Gutenberg, right? And then, <laughs> then it's today. Um, so I read a really, 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 really super good book recently called um, The Written World by Martin Puchner. Puchner? Puchner. It's in the description. You'll find it. Um, and it is a history of storytelling. Um, it is a history of print and how print changed storytelling. It changed the world. And it's a fantastic book. This man, you know, over like a decade or whatever the hell, travels the world in search of the history of print and publishing. Um, and uh, it is... It is incredible. It's an incredible book. I highly recommend it. Again, you can listen to it on, on audiobook. That's kind of how I prefer to consume a lot of my uh, nonfiction these days because I just feel like if it's I'm reading like a podcast, yeah. And if I'm if I'm reading fiction, I should be reading romance for the podcast. So <laughs> I, I kind of like to get myself to not read. I like have to like listen to anyway. Doesn't matter. But like it's a good it's a good listen. It's also a good read. Um, but. He he goes from, you know, all the way from Gilgamesh, right, to, to oh, wow. today. Like, it's really, it's a, and he, he goes all over the world. So he has a very holistic view, which is to say, um, he goes into, he goes into Gutenberg, but he also talks about how Gutenberg was not actually the person to invent print. Um, <laughs> that was, that was the Chinese. Well, yeah, because um, they had the wood blocks that they figured it out first they, they had movable type yes um and uh but but for our purposes to, today we're gonna say that gutenberg synthesized these ideas in 1454 um and immediately like you said starts printing bibles and that is because gutenberg was a very shrewd businessman <laughs> who was like you know what sells <laughs> bibles most people can't read, but what they can read is the Bible. Um, well, yeah, especially because most people who did read, there were religious people or religious men, I should say. Yeah, so yeah. That, that religious texts would have been the go-to market. <laughs> yeah. So he the, in in Martin Pushner's book, uh, The Written World, right? We have he he goes on to to talk about like how religion is usually the first adopter of new uh, writing technology and also the most reluctant to adopt new writing technology. So it's a really interesting dichotomy we have there where like Christians, right? New religions, I should say, not just Christians, but you know, the newest of religions, they're always the people to embrace new technology the fastest. Whereas religions that have been around for a while typically hesitate because these texts become powerful in the forms that they have been in. So for instance, um, he talks about how in Judaism, they still use the Torah written on a scroll, right? They did not adopt the book when the book came out. Um, guess who did? The Christians, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, and part of that was also because, you know, the Torah is sort of a contradiction. You're not supposed to write down the word of God, but also if in order to keep it alive, yeah. uh, you had to have it written he, he, you know, Martin Pusher, he, he does a whole chapter on Judaism and the power of story and the power of the written word. Um, it's fascinating. Again, highly recommend this book. Um, but that is to say, though, if we're talking about the world in 1454. Gutenberg has just printed his Bible. There's not a whole lot of fiction out there. 
right? Yeah. Like, they're, you know, newspapers aren't even really yet a thing, right? So we don't even have those serialized novels yet, right? Um, we don't have uh, short stories. We, we don't even have Penny Dreadfuls yet. Um, yeah, they, it's all just folklore, what you tell, bedtime yeah. stories. It's like, well, what we have in print at this point in time in Europe is is fables, maybe, hymns, uh, religious texts, and the Greek classics. That's about it. For a grit. For a while. There's not much else. Um, and then... And then fiction kind of explodes on the scene. Um, and this is like... Uh, this is a non-linear story, right? Like, things... History does not move in a straight line. It kind of ebbs and flows. And, like, fiction was in certain places and wasn't in others and became really popular, like, say, in Spain, uh, but didn't kind of move out of there, you know? Like, so, for instance, um, The Tale of Genji, right, which is uh, by Murasaki Shikabu, was published in the 11th century. And that is itself, you can argue, a romance novel. A really fucked up one, considering the protag is 10 when it starts <laughs> but yeah um you, oh. can, you can make the argument anyway um i mean also someone could make the argument that gilgamesh is a romance novel very gay gilgamesh really gay. and Enkidu are so gay though <laughs> oh god they're so gay oh and he will love you like a woman and embrace you as a woman does oh yes he will anyway sorry i'm getting excited about yeah gilgamesh. i uh, i took him with <laughs> I took a mythology class recently and we we did a we read Gilgamesh and there was all these questions where I was like could you take a gay reading or like a you know like a queer reading of it and I was just like oh fuck yeah this is this is totally could Literally. be read as either brotherly love or romantic love I like I because I, I was reading it recently because of you know who I am as a person and um I was like <laughs> I, I got to the, the line or the part where um, Inkadu is being seduced by by the um, by the beautiful... Oh, by the naked woman? By the naked woman. The, the... Yeah. I guess you could say she's like an official like temple prostitute, right? Um, yeah. But, uh, and, then, and then he's like, the animals turn him away because now he's known the pleasures of man and they no longer recognize him as one of them. And, and then like, what is it? Like one of the gods or whatever comes down and is like, so you're going to meet this guy named Gilgamesh, and he's going to be way better than that prostitute. <laughs> and I was like, there's kind of only one way to put that. <laughs> for the most part, yeah, 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 yeah. Love it. I love it. It's great. I mean, um, Enkidu dies for Gilgamesh. He does, and Gilgamesh is so messed up about it, he refuses to believe that his bloated corpse is actually dead until he sees a worm crawl out of his eye. It's very sad. <laughs> anyway. Um... <laughs> On, Gilgamesh tangent over. <laughs> yeah, Gilgamesh episode upcoming. <laughs> um, so, the tale of Genji, uh, by Mirazaki Shikibu, is in the 11th century. Don Quixote is in the 16th, uh, 1600, 1605. That is objectively fiction. It's also fiction that's making fun of fiction, which is like it's whole a whole thing. Um, yeah, it's it. It was satirizing and criticizing um the romance the hero the, the, oh I... yeah romantic tales which is to say at the time romance did not mean the same thing it just meant fiction um absurd stories um which i love i love that everything was referred to as romance um <laughs> like uh nathaniel hawthorne all of his books he considered romances which is 
Thank you. I would love to have a romance reading of The Crucible. That, <laughs> like, I mean, there's already a plenty of romance in that. It's true. Itself. There's a lot of romance in there. There's a lot of sex in that in that one. Yeah. I had, to read, I had to read the most, the sexiest of lines. So, uh, small tangent, when I was in, God, I must have been a sophomore in high school, um, we, read the, we read The Crucible, and there's a character in it named Abigail. And my teacher, who's this <laughs> lovely lady, thought it was so funny to make me Abigail every single day of the class. So, like, <laughs> usually she, like, give people various, like, parts and stuff like that, and you just kind of bounce around the room. I was always Abigail. And, which was fine because she's a villain and it's, like, fun or whatever. And I, I can see that. you running with her. I, I had fun with that. But there's a line <laughs> where, like, she's talking to, uh, shit, the, the guy. John? Who, yeah, John. She's talking to John Proctor. And, uh, and she's, like, they've had a, had an affair, right? And, and, yeah. and she goes, like, oh, well, you weren't calling me such a wretch when you were sweating like a bull on top of me. <laughs> and I had to say that in front of my whole class. <laughs> That was embarrassing. Anyway, I'll never recover. Anyway, in the Ming Dynasty, <laughs> the 1300s to the 1600s, they had a lot of novels. And it was good. And they didn't talk about Abigail yeah. being, on, being under a man who's sweating like a fool. They didn't talk about it. They had a lot of poetry, though. They had a lot of poetry. Well, they, they had a lot of novels. The, the Chinese classical novel is... Like, something that I think is really overlooked, not maybe not so much anymore, but, like, historically very overlooked in Western media, um, they have an incredibly rich history of, of novels over there, um, and I would love to read some. I haven't gotten around to it, but I was talking oh. to my neighbor recently, um, who is a professor at the San Francisco State, and she's an incredible woman, Um uh, she yeah she 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 knows like all all of the things about literature and um she we're talking about uh the history of the novel and um she was telling me about she asked me she's always challenging me right she's always like have you read this but have you read this oh you haven't read this yet oh what are you doing you know in the way that people do and um you charlatan i know like how can you be a writer if you haven't read that um but she she was recommending i read the red room um I believe it's called mm. The Red Room, which is a really famous uh, novel uh, from China. So I, I need, I will get to it. Believe me, I will. But man, I like sometimes I, I like had an existential the other night, existential crisis the other night, where I was like laying in bed and I was like thinking about all the things that I'm just never in my lifetime going to be able to know because there just isn't enough time and I don't have enough brain. And then I was like, oh God, I'm not going to know everything, and that's unbearable for me. I can't, <laughs> I can't read everything. Oh no! And then I was like, "Wow, it would have sucked if I had been me back back in back in olden days when like I didn't have access to like the internet or anything or like a library or like couldn't read even." And then, like I was thinking about that, and I was like, "Holy shit! What would I have done with all of my like just almost pathological knowledge? curiosity?" And then I was like, "Oh, I guess I just would have gotten really good at making cheese." <laughs> Either that, or they would have called you a witch. Probably also that. The cheese witch. <laughs> Damn, I want to be a cheese witch. <laughs> also, side note, Journey to the West is one of, hands. I might even say greater than a greater hero tale than the Iliad and the Odyssey. Just say. Do you, it's do a you really good throwing Chinese down, Throwing mythology. down those words. Oh, my 
Aww. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been on the hunt for a good copy of it. It's, it's very it's hard. It's hard. I'm on the hunt for a good copy of Pamela, but like, I, I would like a physical coffee now, copy now because now I feel like I, I need one, right? Um, and it's, it's not easy actually finding like nice copies of these books. Um, I, I would like to get like a nice hardcover of, of, of Pamela and it like, it like don't exist. It is really difficult, which is amazing considering it is widely considered. Although of course, as of everything in history, it is debated that this is the first bestseller in really in England. Yes. And America. Oh, in America. Well, yeah, not like Europe proper, I think. Like, I'm pretty sure Don Quixote was, like, probably the first bestseller. But, like, you know. Anyway, to move on. Uh, it was published in 1739-1740. And so how I first heard of this book was I was watching a miniseries uh, that was hosted, I guess you could say, by Lucy Worsley um, on from the BBC. Um, years and years and years ago about uh, is called uh, great I think it's called a great British romance or something like that and it chronicled the the, the history of, of English romance novels and it was fascinating obviously to me <laughs> um, but the, she started with Pamela and and she kind of now that I've read it and I know a fair bit about it I think she was kind of annoyingly dismissive of it in that she, the, the impression I got was that this to so the premises, this young serving maid, her is, is being chased after by her wealthy master and he would like nothing more than to ruin her virtue. Um, <laughs> but she knows she cannot let that happen. And, and so the whole book follows him trying to seduce her and her saying no until eventually he marries her and, and, so it is virtue rewarded. Um, and and she kind of like took a, a laughing look at it where she was like, oh, and then, you know, how how Pamela escapes his assault is that every time he comes near her, she faints and he's so put off that he leaves her alone for a little while. Um, <laughs> she and, just plays dead? Yeah. And I kind of like, <laughs> I, I kind of got this like silly, overblown, very melodramatic vibe from that description. And now that I've read the book, I will say it's not necessarily wrong. But when you're reading the book, um, you realize that Pamela is actually having full-blown panic attacks um, whenever this man oh. comes near her um, because he's trying to assault her. And it, it is That's not... totally understandable. Yeah, it is not flippant. It is not... And it also is, like, her only option because he literally will not be put off. So she comes to realize that, like, by panicking... She can save herself. So, like, it's, 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 so that is to say, I kind of got like a skewed look at this book. And, and I think part of that comes from this culture of Pamela was such a huge bestseller for its time that it immediately was mocked and immediately was satirized, as we see today. Whenever something becomes really, really popular, there's a backlash. Right. So, um, but also, as what I took away from that and what I've always understood was that Pamela was initially published in increments in a newspaper. Um, and then it was published wholly. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't find that anywhere else. I looked, um, I read a lot about this book. I read a lot about Samuel Richardson. I'm going to put all of those things that I read, you know, in the, in the description, but um, yeah, I, I couldn't find that it was initially 
published in a newspaper. So people just say, like, it was published in 1740. If it was published in a newspaper in 1740 first, or if it was published as, like, a full book in 1740, I do not know. Regardless, Pamela hit the the proverbial airwaves in 1740. Um, and people went crazy, went crazy for it. Now, this was Samuel Richardson's first book. And Samuel Richardson is a really interesting fella. He reminds me a lot of... He's a far less talented Benjamin Franklin, I would say. Huh. Because he, too... He was born around the same time. He, too, was uh, from a... I wouldn't say the poorest class, right? A step above, like, full drudgery. But not even middle class, because that didn't even really exist yet. It was only just starting. He was from, like, the artisanal class. Which is to say, like, he got a couple of years of schooling, so that was a privilege. But he was, like, 12, and they were like, you're a man now. We're going to contract you out to uh, to to go be a printer uh, at, at a print shop. So you're going to be an apprentice. Um, and you, you basically, I'm going to be a slave for a while. Um, <sighs> wow. Yeah. Um, and Benjamin Franklin had the same thing until he like escaped and he was like, I don't want to do that. And then he went and bought his own print shop. Anyway, very interesting. But Benjamin Franklin's going to come back in the story here in a little bit. Oh. However, um, Samuel Richardson ends up becoming a printer and he doesn't do a whole lot of writing. Um, but he becomes a pretty successful printer. He buys his own print shop. He, he kind of rises in the ranks to become like upper middle class. I would say he gets married his wife uh, tragically dies after, like, ooh, a lot, a lot of stillborn and miscarried children. Very, very sad. He marries uh. again, and he ends up having four daughters. Um, and I think that that's important um, because when I went into reading Pamela, I knew that it was written by a man. And I was like, what kind of hot takes are we going to get about ladies from this man? <laughs> In the 1700s. Yeah. I will say <laughs> he far, far, far outstripped my expectations, um, which were so, so low. Like, he he really, I, I don't get the sense that this is a man writing a character of a woman or writing a woman as he thinks women should act, which kind of, the lines get blurry sometimes, you know? Um so, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that A, he was a really good writer, and B, he was surrounded by ladies constantly. <laughs> um, so, uh, Sam Richardson is, he, he finally takes up some writing work, and, and he decides that he's going to take up this job for a newspaper. And the job is that he needs to write a compendium of uh, form letters. So at the time, you know, writing letters was very, very important because it's the only way you can communicate long distance, right? So, like, how you wrote letters, like, really mattered and, like, the words you used and, like, the etiquette, like, it was it was very nuanced. Um, so people, you know, wanted to know how to write letters well. So the, he was contracted to write, like, a series of, of example letters for every scenario from um, telling the, your local pastor that you can't uh, attend church this week to um, writing a note to your butcher about, uh, you know, a delivery all the way to what a young woman should say to an unwanted suitor. Oh, really? An unwanted? So, huh. 
it is he very quickly stops doing this job pretty much as soon as he writes that letter because it sparks an idea um and that idea goes on to become pamela uh because pamela is just a bunch of letters and later uh journal entries from a young woman who is being pursued by a man she does not want <laughs> oh that that's kind of a cool spark yeah the way, like the you know when you hear how an author got an idea mm-hmm. that's a pretty interesting one to go yeah i mean i especially considering like he's kind of working like he's working from kind of nothing right like as far as like examples it's the first it's one of the first english novels right it's also the first epistolary novel i think ever um so he kind of just comes up with this out of nowhere which is pretty wild um and he and he knocks it out of the park too like i and i and i think you know to circle back around to talking about why it's kind of hard to read it's because again first <laughs> you know it's first we didn't have the conventions that we have now we didn't have the the reader's understanding and and the writer's understanding of how to read certain things and like what's necessary like for me if if a writer chooses to use like instead of the double quotation they just use the single quotation that knocks me out of the story that one little thing (laughs) i'm like oh i can't read that as dialogue my brain won't work yeah this doesn't even have like like barely has paragraph breaks my dude i mean it i mean it also sounds like you know he was literally the one writing the book about how to write Mm -hmm. you know I mean, it was, you know, letter form for the mass public, but mm-hmm. that's the wiki howls that we read now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it is also, It is tough. Yeah. What were you going to say? Also, the fact that he, I don't know, the, the, the biggest shocker here that I've been kind of holding on to so far is he wrote a letter for girls to be able to ward off unwanted suitors. Meaning that he believed they have a choice that you don't have to accept every man. They have the right to say no. He is the, that's like the fathering of, obviously not, but like the fathering of consent. My dude, you are so fucking on track. Like you're so like, (laughs) yes. I wonder if part of that came from because he's been surrounded by women and he has four daughters of his own that maybe one of them or they've, at multiple times been pursued by people who they want nothing to do with or are creeps. Cause obviously there are creeps. Yeah. And I mean... he had to figure out how to protect them. And he thought, you know what? I bet a lot of other daughters go through this. He probably has seen it in his own youth. I'm going to honestly, dude, I, that's one thing that impressed me the most about this book was that there, there are arguments that it is the, the first feminist novel. Now, I'm using that word lightly because, like, again, 1740, uh, feminism to them was like a woman should be able to have some money, right? Like, yeah. Um, was so like bars pretty low, but I, I, I wouldn't say that that it is incorrect either because the core of Pamela and the thing that like I think is people mistake because it's hidden under this initial veneer of this being a morality tale about like religion and how she's so so she clings on to her virginity so powerfully because of god that he's overcome by by her by her purity and therefore must marry her right it's that is a such a shallow understanding of this book if you get even like i'd say three chapters into this book you will find that pamela the core of pamela is not that 
she is religious. It is not that she values her virginity over everything else. It is that she values her pride as an autonomous person. And it is all she has. She is dirt poor. Her parents are dirt poor. She is a servant. She has nothing. She has no laws to protect her. She has no property. She has no money. She has, she has nothing. All she has is her education and her pride. And this man does not understand that. She understands the power dynamics of their relationship. He does not. All he seems to think is that he's supposed to do this because he's in love with her and he's above her and this is what people in his position do. Pamela again and again and again insists that she is a person and she tells him, I have no rights. I have no, if, I, if you do this to me, if you take my virginity, it is the one thing I have in this world that keeps me safe. It is the one thing I can offer to have a good life. She doesn't even care about getting married. She's like, there's no man in this world I want to marry right now. I just want to be with my parents. My parents are old. They need me. I need to be with my parents. And again and again and again, she says, I have no liberty. I have no choice. All I can do is protect this one thing that makes me a person in the eyes of the law. Everything else does not belong to me. But I can protect this. Come hell or high water, I am going to. You will not take this from me. And I, like, it blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. This is coming from, from Samuel Richardson, this old fuddy-duddy white man in a wig in 1740. Holy shit. Yeah, that... I mean, even now, that's still a pretty... You know, the fight for consent. Mm -hmm. My God. It, it almost seems ridiculous, you know, especially like in colleges, that when you get those mandatory Title IX lessons, it's like, it almost just seems, yeah, obviously you don't do that to people. Mm -hmm. But it's something that still needs to be said. And honestly, that's probably still a message that still needs to be spread, that women have the autonomy. And there are a lot of women in situations where that is the only thing they have control over is keeping is the ability to keep their legs closed and keep them keep themselves safe or it's it's this like it's this fucked up you know uh reaction to if you are only going to value you value me for the sex i can give then i have to value it myself and if that is the only power i have then by god i'm going to keep that power and that is horrifying <laughs> but it it makes sense especially in this world where women could not own property they were property um i mean fuck it like women in america couldn't have their own bank accounts until in the 70s like this is i i, I cannot understate how subversive this book was baldly subversive she tells this man who is so far above her to his face many times that he is violating her as a person. He's violating the law. He's violating God's law. He's violating her. And like, I, I, the, like, she is so, she calls out the power differences. She says, like, you are my master. No master who values his servants would treat them such like you treat me. Like she, she tells him again and again and again. She's like, I am not important enough for you to risk your reputation on why are you doing this i am a wretch compared to you why do i matter this much that you would go out of your way to make my life a misery all i want is to be out of from underneath your heel 
because he's always going on about like how much trouble he's caused her and all this stuff and she's just like i don't matter let me go um yeah if he's so guilty about all that trouble stop causing the trouble oh it's so she's i love pamela (laughs) oh it's such a good book dude it's such a good book it's so good and and i just that sense of pride this girl is 15 and and she has nothing all she has is her faith in in her her the importance of her soul and that she matters just as much as he does even if she, even if in the eyes of the law she doesn't spiritually she does and and i i like her self-worth is so profound and it comes through again and again and again and like this idea that samuel richardson was taking not only like these feminist polls right he was taking like these these pot shots at class at, at like everyone who's like in the upper crust is a dick in this book everyone and to the point where in later editions he actually got so much shit from upper class ladies for how they were portrayed in the book that um he had to do revisions where he made them like <laughs> like a little bit more tolerable because they were pissed they were like i can't believe you represent us as being so awful and he's like mm-hmm um but you know you wanted to sell books i don't blame him but uh like he so it was baldly subversive baldly like uh, argumentative with class in 1740 like we haven't even had the american revolution yet dog like (laughs) yeah this is it it, it's so crazy because it almost seems especially that it's a male author at this time Mm -hmm. like my gut reaction is to be like this must be a woman using a pen name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, to be able to be like, hey, I deserve this. Women, you actually have the right to choose. We have the rights to our own body and to, we matter, you know, we're not property. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like something that of that time would be something that someone had to hide their identity in order to write this well what he would do according to again the the, like documentary series i watched which you can only watch now if you have a subscription to pbs which i do not so i couldn't actually watch it again but from what i recall um lucy worsley talks about how he would write a passage and then he would run out to his daughters and his wife and they would read it over and they would tell him like where things needed to be fixed and like because he goes into great detail about like how clothes are made, what kind of things she would be able to afford, uh, like how she prepares to initially in the in the beginning of the book, she's dismissed from, from service because she's like, oh, thank God, I got to get out of here. Um, so she's going to go return home to her extremely poor parents. And so she has to leave behind all the nice things she's been wearing as a lady's maid. Um, so she she goes out and she she buys what she can of like like really rough uh, spun fabrics and wool stockings and you know flat-eared caps and um, all this stuff and and he goes into great detail and in doing so you get the feeling that like he knows exactly what he's talking about what a woman of her station would be able to afford and also why she does it she goes into detail about like if I go home in these in these clothes a I'll look ridiculous because everyone's gonna think I'm trying to be above my station right and then B as time goes on, these fancy silks and everything that I'm wearing, they'll get old. And then I'll just look profoundly worse for them being ill taken care of. And I will look so, so far below my station because now I am a woman in silk rags. And it's like, ah, ah, <laughs> yes, Pamela, 
uh, I bet you appreciated the accuracy of the historical fashion oh, much more yeah. than Flower in the Play. <laughs> oh my god, so much, so much. I and it, you know, sometimes it, it can. Whenever like there's long stretches of describing like someone sewing or like making things i mean i love that stuff but even i can find it sometimes to be a little grating because i'm just like oh my god can we move on like really long description of outfits like i'm fucking so bored um but in this it's it showed such a clear purpose um that i was like oh this is you know exactly what you're doing and again simo richardson was the master of the psychological novel now i want to say because i didn't mention it up top his most famous book is not pamela you may know him for clarissa Clarissa is much more widely known, and I think probably because it doesn't have a happy ending. It the it, the title like rings like the vaguest faint of a bell, but I... it's it's basically Pamela if Pamela didn't if it didn't work out. Um, oh, and it's and it's the same like super psychological nitty gritty like day to day novel. Um, about like class differences and, and a romance that shouldn't be, um, except except it has a tragic ending. And I'll, I'm willing to bet that one of the reasons that people like like it more or talk about it more in the scholarly circles is because we inherently don't value romances uh, as in my you know in the modern term of romances, right? And and this is. For as strange as it sometimes is, and as dark as it sometimes is, this this is what we would consider a romance novel, right? It's got its main points are uh, this crazy, crazy journey of falling in love, and it has a happy ending. That's it. Yeah, woman gets a happy ending. Oh no, it's not historically significant. We have to watch the woman get tortured and suffer. If a woman doesn't die at the end, then it's not worth talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm I'm so head over heels for this book, dude. I was like I was thinking about it, I was like I could do a whole like mini like uh, limited release podcast for this book. I don't know what I would talk about other than just be like Pamela's great, isn't it? Um, <laughs> like I love it. I love this book. There's a lot of scholarship on this book. Um, it's uh, I mean I for as important as it is, and for as much scholarship as it is, I think it's kind of amazing that it's not more well known but again i attribute most of that to the fact that frankly it is incredibly hard to read <laughs> listen to it listen to it listen to it it is it is so much fun to listen to especially if it's like a full cast um but yeah it's it's a toughie it's a toughie dog man yeah i mean i'm sure novels novelists like the brontes and austin you know especially austin you know all her stuff is you know, romance novels, mm-hmm. arguably, mm-hmm. that probably one of the big reasons why she's, besides that quality of her writing, still known is because even though she was a romance author, she was a woman author. You know, it was more of a, about what she did, not, or how she did it, not the content of what she did. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. that because this was a, seem you know, from what you told me, I would even say, in absolute terms, a feminist novel, well, a period feminist novel, mm-hmm. obviously, feminism by, in terms of its historical context, yes, that is absolutely feminist. Would it be considered feminist today? Hard uh, choice. Honestly, 
and I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that, yeah, I think so. I think so. Pamela's language is so harsh and so radical that even by today's standards, I, I, I say that it, it is it is a feminist novel, um, which is mind blowing. Right. Because, again, I think a lot gets hidden under this veneer. Like people judge this book because I, and, I, and I don't blame them because here I, I'm going to read you the like book plate, the like inner description um (laughs) of volume one because the book is split into two parts um and i i it makes sense because this is how they were trying to sell this book right yeah but in reality the book is so much more than what i'm about to read to you so the description of this book was pamela colon or comma (laughs) virtue rewarded In a series of familiar letters from a beautiful young damsel to her parents, now first published in order to cultivate the principles of virtue and religion in the minds of youth of both sexes. A narrative which has its foundation in truth and nature, and at the same time that it agreeably entertains by a variety of curious and afflicting (laughs) inventions... Uh, sorry, this is like really hard to read. Uh, it is entirely derived of all the images, which in too many pieces calculated for attunement only, I don't know, uh, tend to inflame the mind they should inflict. Um, I don't fucking know what the hell that last sentence meant. What the? <laughs> it's incredibly difficult to read. This is a, it was a bad copy. Oh, but, yeah, I was gonna say, who, 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 what publishing company? Also, also they're doing the old timey thing where like uh, all the S's are actually F's, you know. Um, oh boy. But it goes on to say, in two volumes, the second edition, to which are prefix extracts from several curious letters written to the editor on the subject. Um, it was printed printed in London. Uh, yada yada yada. So. Uh, <sighs> Familiar letters from a beautiful young damsel to her parents, now first published in order to cultivate the principles of virtue and religion in the minds of youth, of the youth of both sexes. Like, I feel like that hides so much of what the book is actually about. That just sounds like religious propaganda. And it's not. Pamela is an intensely religious young woman, but it's very clear that it is only because that is literally the only power she has. Um... You know, like if you if if yeah. you don't have anything else, and and but but someone has told you day after day that like God will be there for you if you just like continue to to keep the faith, um, and your only worth then is by calling on God. I mean, like God, God says that you're not allowed to rape me, so you cannot rape me. You cannot. Like God says, I matter, so I should matter. Um, I feel. I feel like that is a perfectly reasonable thing when the law is like, actually, you don't matter. Like, yeah, you know. Uh, I wonder if, because now I'm really curious about this publishing company and like who he pitched the book to, or did they go after him? And like, if they had the descriptions written that way because they knew if if they understood the power of what he was writing and they covered it up because they also knew at the time no one would read it unless it's veiled under this religious posterity. I'm just going to say, you know, publishing has always been publishing and they just pitched what sold. <laughs> you know? 
like, you know, you and I are booksellers. Like, how yeah. how many times have we encountered like a blurb that's like that is not at all what the book's about, but it's what it's what peop- the publishers think people want, so they kind of. Well, they they lie, <laughs> they lie a little. Yeah. Um, like it's a it's not wholly a lie, but it's mostly a lie. Um, it's like video game trailers. Yeah, or movie trailers, where it's like, right? Where it's like something totally different or made up of scenes that are not even in the movie, right? Like. Yeah, I always think video game trailers because, at least nowadays, it seems like movie trailers give away too much, and you get the whole movie. Yeah. You even get the twists. Yeah. You know they they hint to it too hard, mm-hmm. but video game trailers a lot of the time. You know, they give you this fake animation that's not even part of the game. Oh yeah, or it's and like, just like, oh, it's like picking up a comic book, but the the cover is like by a completely different artist. So you open it up, and the art is totally different. You're like, oh, yeah. And you're just like that. That doesn't match. That's not what that... I wanted. Oh. I liked how the other person drew Thor's titties, not this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I I. I'm so fascinated by this book. Um, I, I, I've I been so deep in the hole with this book for the past week. Uh, I I am not... I realize that by only reading it for a week and only doing the research for a week, I am giving it probably less than it deserves, honestly. Um, people have made their careers out of studying this book. Dissertations have been written about this book. Um, but I, I can't recommend it enough. I cannot recommend picking up an audio copy of it um enough uh this this book is incredible there are so many fucking sick burns pamela has this like absolutely just razor sharp tongue and she's always just like "Mm, maybe that was saucy of me to say but (laughs) Uh, also i will say the i did not expect some of the words to be used in this book that are used the word slut is used a lot they don't use woman of no they're not like I thought like the word harlot would be tossed around I've only read the word harlot once she's called a saucy slut so many times <laughs> he, she's also called a sauce box and a sauce face which just like wait soft what sauce box what the hell does that even mean how who what is a sauce box I, it means someone who's saucy I suppose she's such a sauce box she talks back to her master when he's trying to assault her how dare she um, I was thinking maybe it had to do with she keeps her sauce boxed up. I have no, no, no. It means like it means like spicy. Like she's she's being she's being sassy. Um, ah. Um, but she calls at one point. She calls a lady who's who's keeping her captive at a certain point in the book, which we'll talk about again in the next episode. We'll really get into the act the actual plot of Pamela. Um, she calls her a Jezebel and a and a London <laughs> prostitute. <laughs> and the lady like beats her for it, but she's like, I don't give a shit. You suck. You're going to hell. Um, and, and like, I'm with her. I, I hate that character so much. She's awful. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she's, like, incredibly sassy. Uh, she calls uh, the the male protagonist, the, the villain for half of the book, you could say. Um, his name is Mr. B. That's all we get of his name in, in, in the book. But uh, she calls Mr. B Lucifer to his face, and he gets really pissed. <laughs> He's like, how dare you call me Lucifer? She's just like, mm, the shoe fits, bitch. Wow. It's, how very sex in the city of her instead of Mr. Big. She, oh, man, this book, like, it, when it's read aloud, it reads as so modern. Like, you, 
it's so good. It's so good. Like, <laughs> oh, I can't recommend it enough. I'm so mad that there is not a adaptation out there of it. Like, I'm so mad that there is not really a a modernized version of the novel out there um and don't even fucking put put it on my plate jessica i can see your mind uh, turning <laughs> I, I don't even have to look at you on the screen to to know what you're thinking i, I am busy um you heard my my internal <laughs> wink wink nudge nudge yeah i didn't that's why i didn't even look at you like, no um but I, like there there isn't i think there's like some stuff there's a couple of satire satires of it there's um at the time, there was, by the way, there was a satire called Shamala, um, which is, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> um, but there's, uh, what I could find, there there was, like, an Italian adaptation for, for TV done in, like, 2003, but, like, very loosely followed the plot. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing out there for Pamela. And and I, I wish there was. I think, I, I, I really, really think that it would make a wonderful, wonderful show. Um, it would be you think it'd be tough to watch, but like it'd be good. It'd be really, really good. You think if PBS did a documentary about it, I mean PBS is good at those kind of shows. Mm-hmm. That would I think they would be able to tell a story like that very well. You think they would they would have done it already? I just think it's not well known, honestly. It doesn't have like they they know they can make money off of an Emma right or off of a Pride right. Prejudice or of a Bridgerton, um, but they they you know it, it's Pamela is is a classic, but in the kind of the worst way where like the people who know of it are like oh yeah like but it's like nobody nobody reads it right um, yeah which which sucks because this book is incredibly good. Um, I think it needs to be rewritten for modern audiences, at least reformatted, I should say. Maybe not even rewritten. I think it's just, it needs to be fucking- Edited. It just needs to be decoded. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> like, oh, God. Um, and I, it, what's really funny, actually, is, is to, to end off this, this episode here. When I first tried to read this book, I bought a copy because um, I erroneously thought that, like, that would make it better, which is stupid because, like, the, this- book is offered for free literally everywhere because again it's open domain right but um i i bought a copy and it's it is so funny i i start weeping every time i try and read it because i don't know what happened but the person who was selling this book like translated it into another language and then translated it back into english so it's like Actually, since we're here, let me just read a page. Let me just read a page. <laughs> of course you have it on hand. Well, of course I do. So the very first page of Pamela in this copy that I initially bought for five of my real actual human dollars. Um, <laughs> Not your Monopoly dollars. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, Dear father and mother, I actually have extremely good hassle and some comfort to acquaint you with. The hassle is that my correct lady died of the contamination I cited to you and left us all lots grieved for the lack of her, for she became a pricey properly female and typed to all us her servants. Much I feared that as I was taken via her ladyship to wait upon her man or woman, I have to be pretty destitute again and pressured to return to you and my poor mother, who have sufficient to do to maintain themselves, and as my woman's goodness had positioned me to write down and solid debt, 
pets and made me a bit expert at my needle and otherwise qualified above my degree, it changed into no longer each family that might be might have observed an area that your bad Pamela become healthy for. However, God, whose graciousness to us we've got so frequently skilled at a pinch, positioned it into my good girl's coronary heart on her loss of life bed. <laughs> Tiffly an hour before she expired to endorse to my younger master all her servants one at a time and while it came to my turn to be endorsed for I became sobbing and crying at her pillow she should best my say my expensive son <laughs> and so broke off after a bit after which getting better remember my negative Pamela and those had been some of her final phrases oh how my eyes run don't wonder to look the paper so blotted <laughs> my expensive son I, I can't get over what was it good girl my good girl coronary heart yeah. my good girl's coronary heart Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, oh my god. Uh, this sounds like those Google Translate. Yeah, it sounds they... like someone translated it from English to another language and then back. Oh, it's cool cuz you can I mean you still can understand uh-huh. the gist. Uh-huh. You get what they're trying to say. Well, it well, well, but God's will should be executed, and so comes the comfort that I shall no longer be obliged to return lower back to be a clog upon my pricey dad and mouth. <laughs> for my master said, I will take care of you all, my top maidens, and for you, Pamela, and took me through the hand. Yes, he took my hand before them all. For my pricey mother's sake, I will be a chum to you and shall take care of my linen. God bless him. And may and pray with me, my expensive mom and dad, <laughs> for a blessing upon him. <laughs> oh. oh God! Oh, oh also, she, I want to. So, skipping ahead, she signs off this letter as your maximum dutiful daughter. Your what? Your dutiful ma- daughter. Your maximum dutiful daughter. Uh, oh abigail it's so good dude like it's i i read so much of this um because it was just so incredibly funny but yeah it's like uh, yeah my my good girl's coronary heart um is is pretty choice also i just love expensive son my expensive son take care of my negative pamela and those were her last words oh my gosh I too am a negative Pamela. I can see this being on a t-shirt. Just the whole paragraph on your front of the shirt. It's just ridiculously funny. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, you're going to have to look up the the publishing <laughs> info and see where they got this. I I mean, it's it's public domain, so they just... I mean, who's to say, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe they thought actually, like, maybe they they translated it from like what they thought was old English to modern English. <laughs> that could they they threw it in like a Shakespearean yeah. translator. because <laughs> uh, because I know that like they're what pricey is is probably just dear. Like, it's probably just my dear son. And it's coming through as, like, expensive or pricey. <laughs> my pricey yeah, Pamela. Maxim, your maximum dutiful daughter. It's like your very dutiful daughter. Yeah. Like your... Oh, so choice, dude. So good. 
so I think that's a great note to leave off this episode. We are going to do another <laughs> one. Um, I uh, I look forward to it. I look forward to actually getting deep into the novel with you and like what happens and, and who Mr. B is and who Pamela is and her situation and like how things come together, so to speak. Um, but obviously we cannot do that in this episode because we're already an hour and 10 minutes in. So, <laughs> you know, uh, Jessica, do you have anything to plug now that we're in the plug zone? Wear a fucking mask. That's all I got. Okay. Say. All right. Okay. All right. Well, that's solid advice. Uh, yeah. That's good advice. That's 2021. This shit needs to be over. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I, I'm not even a person who likes to leave my house normally, but I'm, I'm over it. I'm, I'm over it, man. Uh, uh, Support your local indie bookstore. Yes. You know a great way to do that, Jessica? Bookshop.org? Bookshop.org. You know what's amazing about bookshop.org? Does it actually lead you to your local indie bookstore? And also support your local podcast? <gasps> what? Wow. I know. It's amazing. Yeah. See, uh, I have an affiliate account. Uh, and that means that if you go to uh, Kingdom of Thirst or it's like bookshop.org slash shop slash Kingdom of Thirst, but also link in the description, um, you can see that all of the books we talk about on the podcast are on there. And if you use those links to buy them, I get a little bit of scratch. But more importantly, <gasps> most of that goes to your independent bookstore and the authors. Um, except for Sam Richardson, because he did. Um, Unless he has some sort of estate that's still lasting. Yeah. Uh, but it's in the public. Well, it's in the public domain, so no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't even do that. Um, but so more to you, more to me. Yes, that's what's important <laughs> here. Uh, I also have a a list of books that are non uh, romance related that are just kind of my my Abigail's unbiased best books of all time list, which is an ongoing ongoing list of just books that I really like and things I have on my shelf and things that I've felt are formative to me as a writer and a reader. Um, and it's... Com- if you want your mind to be formed like Abigail Kelly. <sighs> Do not recommend. Um, I was going to say, who doesn't want to be you? Yeah, well, that's a... Mm, mm, <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, but uh, you can also check us out on Twitter. You can check us out on Facebook. And you can check us out on Instagram. All at Kingdom Thirst. Um, I hate Facebook, but we have one now. So make it worth my while and head on over there. Also, uh, I realize that most of my listeners are on Spotify, but it does help if you do listen to it on another platform, if you drop a review and a rating, um, or just even if you, even if you don't have that capability, like on Spotify, you can't really rate anything, right? But like sharing the podcast, supporting it in that way really, really helps. It's not necessarily for my ego, although, <laughs> uh, it helps that as well. Um, but simply it, it helps people find the podcast. Um, so like on, uh, Apple podcasts, the more reviews and the more likes and stuff we have, the, uh, more it gets promoted on their through their algorithm so that is super super helpful uh and we just i want you know we want people to to listen to the podcast and 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 we want to have a little family here um i'm not looking for fame or fortune but there are so many good people who love romance novels and i 
I you want to find your family. Yeah, I love the idea of connecting with those people. Already, I've had so 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 many good experiences with authors, um, who who have been such good sports <laughs> about me talking about their books. Um, thinking of Amalia Dillon and Tiffany Roberts and and Finley Fenn and Ella Maven and like many 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 others. Victoria Aveline as well. Um, they've, they've just been so wonderful and, and it means a lot to me. And I've also gotten some wonderful fan mail, which just absolutely blows my mind. So all that to say, um, I want to spread the positivity. I want to spread the love and, and it would help if, if, if people would, you know, help that along. Interact, boost the algorithm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not about like making money because obviously I don't make money off the podcast, but it's about reaching out and, and you know, interacting with people and promoting books and selling books and finding books and talking about books and all this wonderful stuff that we love. So um, do that. Kingdom Thirst or just Kingdom Thirst. Look it up. It's all there. Um, and all the links below. Yeah, all the links below, as usual. Send me an email at, at kingdomofthirst at gmail.com. Or if you don't want to do that, you can also send me an email through the Kingdom of Thirst website, which we have a little, you know, contact me section if you would like to do that for whatever reason. Um yeah, I think that's I think that's about it. I'm trying to think. All you're missing is a TikTok. I was I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it. we should talk about that because I I realize that it's stupid not to have one. I just I'm old. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> old, and I just see all these kids dancing in their rooms, and I'm like, is that what I'm expected to do? Because I can't do yeah, that. Yeah, but at least you're not Facebook old. That's true. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not Facebook old yet. I'm getting there. I'm real getting there, bud. <laughs> You're Twitter old. Oh, I am Twitter old. Um, but follow me on Twitter, Abigail K. Kelly, uh, or Kingdom of Thirst, or both. I was talking about makeup on Twitter last night, and I was, or not last night, the night before, and I was like, it's all my old pictures and me and my makeup looks that I used to wear to the bookshop with my ladies, and I got really sad. So if you want to, if you want to be party to that pity party, <laughs> then like head on over. <laughs> Also, you should, because, I mean, she's no makeup guru, but her makeup do look fine. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I do not want to be a makeup guru. That life sounds... Intense. Yeah, high octane. <laughs> yeah. All right, so... Good good for anyone who does. Yeah. Uh, let's all think about Pamela in the week to come before the next episode comes out. Let's all breathe her in. Let's 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 all have as much pride in ourselves and our autonomy as Pamela does. And let's take that energy into the new year, huh? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's have everyone have a good girl coronary heart. Yeah, good girl coronary heart. It's true. Be expensive. Be pricey. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's it for the podcast. Goodbye. Bye-bye.